Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's show. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Um, We had a very short glimpse of summer this morning um, and about five minutes before I was due to record this episode, my neighbour decided to fire up his lawnmower. Fortunately, it started to rain immediately as soon as he did. So you avoid the noise of somebody cutting their grass in the background of today's interview. I'm really excited to bring you this interview with um, Jamie and Pete from StoryKeep. They introduce themselves and what they do brilliantly in the interview, so I won't steal their thunder now. But we talk about podcasting and, in particular, private podcasting and some of the differences. Now, as you know, this is a public podcast. It's something that's put out for um, anybody to enjoy. There is an alternative, which is private podcasting, and we go into the detail of what that looks like. And I hope, uh, and I'm sure you will find it really interesting. One of the features of this podcast is that it is entirely self-funded. It's something that I love doing. It's something that I'm passionate about doing. But I have been approached by people in the past as to ways in which you guys listening can support what I'm doing. So I have set up a page that shows different ways of doing that. It's at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash support. There's various different ways, one of which is a uh, system called Buy Me A Coffee, where you click on a link, uh, you make a donation to say thanks for the content that's being created. You can leave a review on iTunes, which helps the show get found by other people who are searching for content to make their lives easier. And the third uh, way is to share the episodes or the links with your friends and family. So if you are looking at ways to support what I'm doing and you'd like to do so, that would be very much appreciated. And those are the three key ways of doing so. So I'll now hand over to the interview with Jamie and Pete. It's a great conversation on what I find a fascinating topic and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Well, hello and welcome to this week's show. I'm very excited for the topic that we are going to be discussing today, which is podcasting and in particular private podcasting, which is an area that is relatively new to the podcasting world. And I'm very excited to introduce my guest this week, and that is Jamie Younger and Pete Herkmans from StoryKeep. Um, Firstly, Jamie and Pete, welcome to the show. Great for you to join us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Russ. Thank you. Um, And as I say, we're going to be talking about podcasting. Uh, We're going to touch a little bit on public and private podcasting, the differences and similarities. But before we get into the detail, perhaps give our audience 
a bit of an overview as to who you are and how you came to be doing what you're doing today. Yeah, um, I'll start. Um, so, Russ, I um, I'm American, and uh, I as I was growing up, I was sort of always interested in meeting new people, and I wasn't a shy kid. Uh, I eventually ended up studying folklore in at the university, which is a, not a super common yeah. <laughs> uh, major to, to have. Um, and if people aren't familiar with folklore, it's, it's, ha- it's related in some ways to anthropology. So um, I was very interested in people who are tradition bearers um, within their own cultural space. Um, so dance, music, crafts, foodways, et cetera. I was, I was uh, enamored with human expression in all of its forms. Um, and I, I sort of quickly realized that I didn't um, want to become an academic folklorist. I didn't want to become a professor. Um, and I didn't necessarily want to do sort of public presentations or museum exhibits about um, Norwegian wood, wood carving. <laughs> um, but I did want to continue down the path of human stories. Um, I eventually ended up studying radio journalism, uh, documentary radio at the Salt Institute in Portland, Maine. Um, and that's basically a feeder institute for those who want to go to in NPR, National Public Radio, uh, in the United States. There's two schools. The other one is was at Duke University. And so we were trained in essentially how to produce a podcast like the most famous podcast that people know is This American Life. Um, and so uh, those kinds of uh, topics where you're telling a real human story through human voices, generally not narrated um, heavily and um, let's say, quote unquote, authentic um, to a human experience. Uh, I left the school and I ended up starting uh, as an intern and then later as a producer at the radio station in New York City, uh, WNYC, the NPR station there. And although I love so many of the shows that they make and many, many listeners might know Radio Lab um, and some of the, you know, Studio 360 and some of those great shows that are there. It was not the place for me. Uh, I immediately realized that I did not want to be assigned stories. Um, I was not very good at um, uh, going with someone else's vision, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, and so, uh, luckily, in some ways, um, the show that I was working on. Uh, in the middle of the recession in 2008, did not get continued funding. And right at that moment, a dear friend of mine asked if she could hire me to um, interview and record the life story of her father-in-law. Right. So she paid me a little money and, and I, I sort of viewed it as a favor. And in the midst of doing that, um, in the midst of not knowing where my career was going and just sort of doing this thing for a friend, I realized uh, kind of like a, a bolt of lightning that that was really my calling, that it merged my interest in um, traditional human expression and oral history, which came from the folklore side of me, and my actual media training um, from radio studies. And I just thought, well, if one person's willing to pay me, then maybe this I can make a business out of this. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2009. Um, and then quickly in quick succession after after that um three other individuals hired me to record their family stories and at that time it was in audio only amazingly enough um and then uh in 2010 story keep was officially founded i later took on a business partner and we 
um, added film to our services and our products. Um, and in 2015, um, I, she and I went separate ways. And that was the time in which I really started to look at who could we serve the best. And we started really looking at um, making films and family histories specifically for um, really prosperous families, often business owning families who had a distinct interest in somehow documenting their legacy. Mm -hmm. um, and so at this point, we've worked with over 80 families um, in almost 90 projects. Wow. Many of those are film. Um, and most recently we've been producing private podcasts. I skipped over a, a very important moment in the history, which is in 2008, I met Pete, uh, in 2018, I should say. Uh, and we um, both had a, a really uh, passionate interest in human stories and interviewing. Uh -huh. And um, maybe I'll let him tell the rest of the end of that story, that story and how we came to um, work together at StoryKeep. Great. Over to you, Pete. Well, thank you, Russ. Um, yeah, I'll be happy to tell the rest of the story, but I'll do that later. Like, um, um, we, we both live in Holland right now. That's where we run the company from. Uh, we have people everywhere in the world that basically help us, experts everywhere, uh, editors, uh, DPs, sound people. Um, so basically what Jamie was doing in the, uh, in the, in the beginning of her company was actually the same she ran the company from like uh, new york and the rest of the experts were in the rest of america and, and the world so um, nothing really changed and uh, especially in, in in covid time uh, we needed to connect uh, in this particular way way more than ever uh, online so our like our management uh, structure is is an online uh, structure we basically we talk to our people the people that work for us um, online and we, we hardly see them in person. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we kind of have an advantage of this uh, pandemic era. Uh, but well, uh, over to me, like um, when I was in high school, I uh, in Holland where I uh, was born and raised, I actually never knew what to become uh, if I was older and grown up and what kind of profession. Uh, sometimes I still wonder, it's kind of a running theme in my life, but I think somehow uh, it had to do that I had to discover that along the road and basically um, telling more and more my my own story and, and also use the talents and the skills I had developed over time to tell other people's story with a, with a, with a strong theme or message or provocative uh, topic. Um, so, I, I strange, strangely enough, I started studying Spanish at the Dutch University because I, I truly I didn't know what to do. And uh, in Holland, we uh, we learn English, French, and German on high school. And I thought, well, I need to learn a new language. And for me, it was it made totally sense to start Spanish as a this almost the second like largest. Uh, language after Chinese, I believe. Um, so I did that. And somehow during that study, I wasn't really satisfied with my choice. And I became more interested in film and theater. And, and let's say uh, in, the, in the master's part of my, uh, after my bachelor, I, I started doing film and theater 
science that's a special uh, university study here and i got more uh, like interested in this whole making of of stories uh-huh. uh, and I, I i was very lucky that i could do, do my internship with a public broadcasting company here in holland where i basically during the course of a year i got all the courses and trains i could could even dream of to uh, become kind of a self-made media maker there and uh so i was very lucky and after that i started a documentary uh production company with a with a companion uh peter was his name uh, we worked together for seven years and we were uh pretty successful in making very let's say um background stories we we really we really um let's say we 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 went undercover in in what we say inner worlds where let's say we stayed for like for four or five months in an elderly home for example and then we wow. we became there the, the fly on the wall like uh-huh. uh, nobody saw the camera anymore and those stories became very authentic and open and people started sharing like stuff they never had even shared before with their direct family but just the camera became this a kind of neutral uh trustable witness you could tell anything to and we we as documentary films were like connected to that camera so they trusted us too and uh, somehow it was a very interesting time uh and and we made stories that were basically about the drives of people what drives people to run their lives and mm-hmm. how do they solve their problems and how do they deal with uh like all the obstacles in their existence and how do do they overcome them uh and those those documentaries were like published in in like all over the world and it was kind of a successful period but then somehow uh my companion peter and i we after seven years we had different ambitions that we wanted to develop ourselves in different directions so we had to somehow very sadly say goodbye to our uh, collaboration uh, mm. Uh, which felt very sad and uh, at the same time uh, well I grew up in, in a family with two sisters I never had a brother but to me it felt like a brother I had to say goodbye to that was really hard and especially mm. in this way of working you work so intensely together that it's hard to just break up so and after that I uh, went to public broadcasting companies and doing basically executive production of uh, talk shows that were mainly focused on the same kind of topics like uh very controversial uh, topics uh, like here in Holland like euthanasia sexual abuse by psychiatrists like people just came to the studio and and shared their experiences it was pretty pretty intense tv i must say but also like very very fulfilling to me because we we opened up like a public dialogue about those themes mm-hmm. and that Uh, somehow doing those both those uh careers like uh, nurtured me to i i want to make stories uh, that's clear and then i had like a like a kind of a like a short while i worked for wwf like uh, i thought i had to do something with nature protection uh conservation no 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 that's not that's not my thing i shouldn't do that uh-huh. and then i got uh, and then i got like children i thought no no i should I, i should be at home and take care of them and not travel all over the world and so and then all of a sudden later i thought like mm, i became a coach and a trainer and a leadership coach yeah i did that for 10 years and then then i knew no now i know what to do like this running theme kept on going and going uh-huh. 
And basically, I think I had to do all of this together to merge those two careers, they, saying the, 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 the storytelling career and the, the leadership uh, development career into one. Like, I think it's a very interesting world where can, can we use media as a way to, let's say, develop leadership? Or can we use leadership uh, to uh, make stronger and better example stories for other people to follow? So that's basically uh, the moment where Jamie and I met uh, two and a half years ago in 2018 uh, in Minneapolis, where we both attended a course um, of a week. And the course was called Interview, like not interview, but interview. Uh -huh. And for, for us as media makers, quite surprising in the sense that we, we were taught to do interviews without asking any question like any question. So basically the first thing we were instructed was like, so cameras running, nothing to be done, nothing to be fixed, because that's what we do as interviewers a lot of the time. Like, you know, we're fixing and we're trying to score a scoop or something, no, or nothing, just the camera started running. And then people basically started telling the story because of this witness effect. Just they, they felt they were being witnessed without any judgment. And um, that's how uh, this new world, for me, a new world of interviewing without any questions opened to me. And that's where Jamie and I met. We, we fell madly in love. She confessed her love to me after three days. Wow. Um, in, I think in it the was middle after of, two. <laughs> even, even faster. Like she, she, she wanted to do it like earlier, sooner, but somehow she didn't. And uh, she confessed this over dinner. And I was like totally blown away. Like, what is happening here? And, and since that particular moment, we, uh, we kept on flying over the ocean like many, many times. And we discovered like this life between New York and Holland, that's not sustainable. We have to find a way to uh, like to do work, live together. And that's how we finally uh, developed um, like our company together, where we work together uh, as a as a as a as a couple, as a loving as a like as partners, as mm -hmm. a married couple. So it's quite an adventure so far. And and in the middle of that adventure, we also got a beautiful daughter. I mean, let's face it, what a gift! Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that happened too. So we built family and business at the same time. Fantastic. What an incredible story, first off, in, in terms of both of your backgrounds kind of bringing you together in, did you say Minneapolis was, was where the, the sort of meeting came um, and everything you'd done beforehand kind of brought you together at, at that moment. It's a, a fantastic story and it, it's great to hear that you are also doing something that you're both very clearly passionate about as well in terms of um, utilising the skills and business acumen, and uh, we'll get into some of the sort of technological sides of it um, later on, but using that as a way to um, fulfill not only your passion, but to deliver something of huge value to um, families as well. And again, we'll, we'll dig into that um, a little bit. But before we go down the, the sort of route of looking at private podcasting as a medium and as a, a mechanism for, for recording histories, obviously we're talking on a public podcast which is 
different in its um, ambition to say a private podcast because when I set the podcast up the idea was to try and get as much useful information out to families and family businesses as possible that they're you're not alone in the challenges you face you're not alone in in terms of the dynamics that are at play within a family and I'm very passionate about podcasting as a medium which I know you uh, both are as well perhaps we could just spend a couple of minutes on looking at public podcasting as a medium compared to say a private podcast and then we can dig deeper into the details around um private podcasting but jamie do you want to kind of give because i know um you're on a public podcast as as well and and so just to kind of outline what where you see the the role for each of them in um what we're talking about today yeah i mean public podcasts are basically what everyone thinks of as podcasts um and and what most people are aware of so it's completely out in the public domain you can search for um, or be um, given recommendations for podcasts if you go onto Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, uh, and there's a million other platforms that you can listen to podcasts on, including, um, you know, on your phone um, through those applications or also on your desktop. Um, and you, generally speaking, there's there's no password, there's no charge. It, it's, it's um, you might hear advertisements, you might hear sponsorship, um, but it is, it's available. Um, and, and those, if you're a listener of a podcast, which probably the folks, you know, who are listening right now, they probably, this isn't the only podcast you listen to. Um, and you, uh, likely listen to other podcasts that teach you something or, um, keep you up to date with the news or inspire you in some way. Um, there's a whole other kind of domain of podcasting as well, that, um, essentially you're, you're getting content from a brand um, or some kind of commercial enterprise and they're giving you valuable content, but they're also making you aware that they have a product. Um, so, you know, there's this whole mix of an ocean of public podcasts that are out in the world. Um, and then there is private podcasting, which uses the same vehicle, but for a pretty different purpose. So it is still, yes, it's inspiring sometimes. Yes, it's connecting. Yes, sometimes it's educational. But the content is for a very specific and select group of listeners, as opposed to anyone and everyone who would like to listen. Um, usually a podcast that's public, they want to have as many listeners as they possibly can have. And they, um, they could have listeners um, that they never, never would know because they have 50,000 or 100,000 listeners a month um, or more. Uh, and these days, you know, Michelle Obama has a podcast, so it's also ruled by celebrities um, in a lot of ways. But private podcasts, you know, they the content that is there is specifically honed and specifically produced in order to um, communicate with a select group of private listeners. Um, so it could even be 50 people who are the only 50 people who have kind of access to that private podcast. Um, and you're thinking like, why would you go to the trouble to produce something for only 50 people? Well, if that happens to be your family's business or your family enterprise, and you have content and information that is incredibly valuable, but you don't want anyone else in the world to know about it, then you can create a um, show or, or a series of shows that is either audio and or video combination that meets your needs. Um, and it, it is... Um, not something that other people can, let's say, Google for on the internet and find. 
um, there's an authentic authentication process that's gone through in order to make sure that only the people who the content was made for can listen to the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a that's probably the key distinction, isn't it, between the the public and the the private? And I know it sounds a really obvious statement to make, but the private podcast is private to those that you wish to listen to it, rather than um, putting it on a public um, platform and then only telling those people that they can listen. There's still the danger that somebody's going to find that through their search terms or whatever it is they're looking at on their um, preferred podcast player to to find. So that that's a clear distinction there. And I think one of the key um, topics in terms of so uh, a few businesses have, have approached me off the back of the, the podcast that, that I'm obviously hosting now around how do we go about setting up our own podcast and one of the first questions I ask them is what are you trying to achieve with the podcast what's what's the kind of vision for it what's the purpose of it and if it is to um, so for some it's I just want to have really interesting interviews with people there's no commercial aspect to it i just want to chat to fellow business owners about their own experiences and put that out in, in the public because i think it would be of of interest then they know what they're looking for in terms of um, how to to achieve that and what they need to do in order to bring that to fruition and i think again in understanding firstly that there is an option to do things as a private podcast is a big important um, point to make at this stage but then to understand what it is you're trying to achieve with the podcast is a really good starting point, right? Because if you want it to be something that is available to everybody, a private podcast is perhaps not the best way, most efficient way to go about it. If you want it to be something that is um, kept as something internal within the family or within the family enterprise, then private is definitely the way to go. Um, Pete, perhaps you could um, share some of your experiences on that side of things as well. Yeah, I think... Uh it's a good question to ask like what do you want to achieve with your podcast but it's also kind of a uh, when it comes to private podcasting a kind of a chicken and egg question like because if people don't know about private podcasting and they hear it for the first time they they hardly know how to use it if they if we explain to them how to use it then they can like probably better answer the question like what do you want to achieve with the podcast? If you ask people what do you want to achieve with the podcast and they don't know enough about private podcasting, then it kind of limits also their uh, possibilities in, in, in using it to the unlimited in the unlimited way. Um, a thing uh, Jamie and I, for example, ran into is um, since, since the start of StoryKeep, a lot of films were made uh, on on the stories of the the first generation uh, in the family, for example, in, within wealthy families, and there's two or three or four people, uh, let's say the, the the grandfather, the grandmother, and a few children being interviewed. Maybe five people that basically are included in that story, where maybe that the the entire family consists of two hundred people, uh, and there's a there's a lot of uh, stories going on there, related stories to that gen story. Uh, which never see the daylight. Um, and when we started talking about private podcasting, that could be, for example, one of the beautiful goals you could uh, want to achieve. Like we want to we want to document our family history in a broader sense than only with the focus on on the first gen or on the family um, story that already was being told in film, where there's so little space and time to do that. Uh And now basically with private podcasting, 
you have the opportunity to, let's say, produce many, many episodes with cousins, with uh, with uncles, with uh, grandchildren that 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 tell their part of the story, and then for the audience within the family, people can choose. Like I'm kind of interested in in granddad's story or in in the Holocaust story of uh, grandma, or uh, you know, you can just organize that within the private podcast, which is basically an a, an enormous archive you can create over the course of time, which is just one of the examples, and that could be a goal you want to achieve uh-huh. another goal uh, you want to achieve is maybe like um when it's when it comes to the family business we want to organize like an easy onboarding um course for every new uh, employee within our, within our family business that needs to know about our uh, the way we we we've been organized and they just can just watch that on their on their iphones or or Androids, whatever they have, uh-huh. uh, also organized in an episodic way. So, um, if you know about the possibilities, you probably also it's probably also easier to answer your question, like, what do you want to achieve? And uh-huh. have you ever considered uh, looking at this enormous potential instead of maybe uh, uh, trying it early in more limited communication tools like newsletters? Or uh, yeah, uh, just written letters, like like just physical letters, uh-huh. um, or or other other means of communication. This is really the, this is the bomb, I think, for um, a connection within groups that that hardly can come together all at the same time, and that makes it like a really great opportunity. I think maybe you yeah. maybe Jamie, you can add something to it, or like maybe I missed something. Yeah, I think I mean in in thinking about. Um, I mean, if you have uh, a family business and you've had a measure of success and you clearly you want to continue that um, and some, some of your success is dependent on um, family cohesion and, and, and um, togetherness, um, I think those families um, who are innovative and thinking about, okay, how, how, do, how do we actually create success over time as a, both as a family unit and also our business, um, you know, if you've done any studying up on this, um, you, you should be pretty well aware that focusing merely on the financials of the business um, or the family enterprise, it's only going to get you so far. And as so many people know, it's probably only going to get you like two and a half generations. <laughs> and then um, you're going to hit the dust, you know, basically. Um, and so, the the main focus really for us um, in thinking about trying to be a support to families through podcasting is to look at what creates success over time. And what we know creates success is warm relationships within families, family cohesion, family togetherness, if you want to call it social capital, which is a pretty scientific term for not hating your dad. Um, <laughs> uh, but essentially... Um, finding a way to be together and to accept one another and be able to communicate um, and appreciate um, each other's strengths and your differences. So that that's one big thing. And of course, the other thing is when you have that, then how do we make sound decisions together as a family, if we have to make decisions together as a family business? Um, and so that's what um, in our minds guides 
the kinds of topics that make sense for an internal private family podcast. Because if you're talking about family togetherness, then there's certain things that would fall under that sort of bucket of topics. Um, so it could be your family legacy, um, you know, a patriarch or a matriarch's life story. Um, but it could also be something like the younger, let's say the grandchildren of the family interviewing the elders in the family. So it's not just this life chronicle of the patriarch, but it is, you know, Suzanne, who's 14, interviewing her grandmother, who's 72, um, about her role in the family business. Um, and also, you know, a big thing in, in families who have done some kind of work around their mission or vision um, for the future, they often outline values that their family um, holds, holds dear and wants to live out. Um, you know, grit, uh, uh, integrity, uh, patience. Um, but a, a podcast is an amazing place to tell stories that embody those kinds of values so okay. that it's not just a bullet point on your family constitution. It's, um, it's a story that you can recall because, you know, human brains are hardwired for story. So we can remember the story better than we can remember the seven bullet points. Mm -hmm. um, just happened to be the way we work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think uh, there's a couple of points there that are, are really important to uh, dig into a little bit more. Um, it, firstly, around the point of uh, where you're saying about values and how certain things have traditionally been documented. It is tradition, I guess, in terms of utilizing technology to document things in paper format. And the danger with things I've worked with families to help them put together family charters and to discuss values and one of the key points I look at is let's not just discuss the value let's look at the behaviors that represent or don't represent that value so that you can understand expectations rather than just say my interpretation of say integrity could be different to yours and then how, how's that solved anything just by having integrity as a on, on that list but also the traditional format for recording that is via paper or electronic paper format it then sits in the computer file or in the drawer and sometimes gathers dust if people don't then pick it up and, and monitor it and maintain it on a on a, a ongoing basis but the point is that that was a, that's the best technology that was available in order to to do that whereas i think what we're saying here as well is there is technology available to us relatively easily to allow us to document everything via visual or via audio and we're talking about private podcasting as a product and a service but in essence you've got voice notes on your phone where you can pick up your phone record the voice notes and organize them it's not quite the same it's not as structured but one of the things i think as well that's so important about that is that it's a way of recording people's voices. It's a way of recording their, if you're doing it uh, visually as well, their faces. And that's such a precious gift for future generations because uh, I'm similar to you. I, I was approached by somebody to help them record their family business history. And part of their motivation was that they didn't have any recordings of their own parents. And so, this is now such a valuable gift for them to pass to their future generations because whilst people are around, you tend to perhaps take them for granted and that you can pick up the phone and you can jump on a Zoom call or you can visit them and, and see them face to face. But actually preserving that and preserving it on such important issues as you talk about with the family business as well is such a valuable thing to, for them to be discussing and 
does that play out in the conversations you have with families around their motivations for doing this? I mean, absolutely. Um, uh, families want to, um, you know, do whatever they can um, to, to document their family histories, let's say. Um, but they, they do it in different ways and different kinds of things they value. So sometimes people want to um, hear, you know, hear a loved one's voice, but also gestures, like you said, are really important. And I think that's where so, even sometimes families have documented some of these things, not just in paper, but in other ways, but it's in some book case, some archival recording somewhere. And I think that is the huge, what you were speaking to earlier, the advantage is like, we're all hooked to our phones one way or another, um, or computer, and we're not going to probably get around that. So we might as well make use of the fact that it is highly, highly accessible to have whatever it is that you're trying to communicate in your family business or family, you know, private family on your phone. Um, and how do you make that secure so that it's, you know, it's a safe thing to do um, and not sharing family secrets um, with those that we don't want to. But um, that, that's, the, that's the thing that I see is we can also look at archival material that you might have created in the past um, for your family and then bring it and elevate it and give it new life and give it a new space and make it much more accessible. Mm -hmm. So if you made a documentary, you know, video of, you know, your great aunt 20 years ago, that's awesome that you did that, but it's probably not very accessible. No one knows where it is. How do we get to it? Even if it's on YouTube on a password, it's so much more accessible if it's on your phone within a, a private podcasting space. Mm -hmm. And again, I think on the um, technology side, we use the example of photographs and how, how we used to get photographs. So right back in the, the olden days, it was somebody sat in front of you for a few hours painting you and hoping you get a, a good likeness. Then came along the camera where you had to sit for a few minutes while it exposed and, and the quality of it was fantastic for the time. But when we look at what we can do now is, is incredible. It then moved to film cameras that were developed and printed out and normally put in a box in the loft until the lofts cleared out. Then we moved to digital photography and then moving to photography on our phones and the convenience and everything that comes along with that. And I think as a result, we probably take far more photos than we would do if we had 24 in a uh, an old film that you used to, to take um, manually. It's far easier to do that and capture it because it's on your phone. You don't have to take a camera out everywhere you go. So if you want to take pictures of the kids, you haven't got to have this whacking gate camera hanging around your neck everywhere you go so it's the convenience of being able to do that and I guess what you guys are doing is taking the ability to record voice and video into that same medium into that same convenience of you don't need um, a podcasting studio you don't need a microphone you don't need you know a sound editor or producer in the room getting your levels right and I'm making it sound as if this podcast has got all of that it hasn't it's just got a microphone uh, attached to the um, laptop but but in terms of the sort of convenience and, and accessibility you're breaking down those barriers that are stopping people from being able to do this right yeah I think that's right and uh uh, well, I talked about it in my introduction about being a fly on the wall uh, when you're, let's say, longer around people uh, with a camera crew, right? But basically what you're talking about, Russ, is that the, 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 the mobile phone or the computer kind of like has 
has replaced that fly in the wall. I mean, you can basically um, use that fly in any situation because the technologies, technologies is so crazy good. So that basically gives us the opportunity to, to start building like archives from, let's say, from this time on to into the next two, three, four decades, and also show the growth of uh, the individual there. Like, I think that's an amazing asset that we can create. We, we all know the, the, the world famous uh, documentary series, Seven Up by Michael Apted, I guess you know, right, uh -huh. Russ? Uh, it's it's basically it's my all time favorite series that was being produced every seven years, and they interview like kids that were seven years old when the series started, and now they're sixty three. It's amazing to see how those individuals developed over time. Like imagine that you can build, start building, doing that within your private podcasting environment and uh -huh. create that for family members. Uh, preserving, conserving their voices, their gestures, their everything. I think that's that's an amazing development. And, and it, it'll go on. Like, we don't even know. It's beyond imagination what we can create in the future that is not being developed yet. Like, there's, oh. there's, there's augmented reality. There's, like, virtual reality you can add to that podcasting environment, which you can also, like, use to tell your story. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the idea of augmented reality is a, a fascinating one because imagine being able to go back 30 years and sit around the table at, a, say, a family council meeting and, and listen to what was discussed as if you're in that, that room. I mean, that's a, an incredible prospect. I don't think we, we might be there. I don't know. But, but I don't think we're quite there in terms of the, the technology to be, a, be able to do that. But it's not far off, as you say, in terms of the developments. And I think trying to make it as accessible to people as well the intimidation can often be with these things is it seems as if it's something where you need a massive budget and you need a massive you know equipment list uh, i rattled off a minute ago around the, the equipment but i mean speak specifically about the technology that you guys use because i know that that's not something where you need necessarily to have a podcast mic that you, you mentioned the example earlier about suzanne sitting under with, with her grandmother um you don't both have to have a podcast mic and that intimidation of not knowing where to talk and all that kind of stuff, is it, that you've solved that problem for people? That's right. Um, one of the things that we realized, and we, st you know, we still come up against when we produce you know, high-end documentary films with families, is you come in and you have cameras, lights, you know, the, whole, the whole shebang. Um, but with, with at least with audio podcasting, to give you a sense, we were we were so focused on making sure that it was as simple, dead simple as possible and, um, and finding the technology that has really high quality sound. Because if you're listening to an audio podcast, sound is everything. Mm -hmm. um, so you want it to be clear and you, you want to have as few disturbances as possible. But the family themselves, they are not necessarily media makers. Um, and they, we might be speaking with someone who's 14, who's quite aware of all kinds of technology that I probably don't even know. <laughs> and, but we also, the next day and, you know, or next week, we might be speaking with someone who is literally 90 years old. So how do we make sure that all of those people can equally contribute? And so um, we have started using the technology that the BBC uses to gather globe, uh, news globally. And that essentially is downloading an app onto your phone, 
and then taking a phone call. That's it. Um, so of course you can't only just pick up your phone um, because there would be no recording and it would be connected to nothing. Yeah. Um, so there is the, the need to download um, this, this app, but essentially it creates a recording environment that um, I guess the simplest way I can put it is if you're familiar with a social media platform um, that puts filters on photos, um, like Instagram or, photo or, or Facebook, where uh-huh. you kind of have a not so great looking photo and it brightens it mm-hmm. um, or creates more contrast or saturates the colors. It's essentially doing that to what's analogous in audio. Wow. So it is creating um, a much better sounding audio file, um, but just as easy as is on Instagram to say, I don't know, Ludwig screen, I, I, you know, uh-huh. what filter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's how, um, that's the technology that we're, we're using because the, one of the most important things for us is that um, whoever uh, wants to be included in that storytelling space that the private podcast allows for can. And we, and nothing is, nothing about the technology is an obstacle in the way of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, and then the, the grandson can just help his grandmother to set that up on her her own phone, and then she basically holds the phone to her cheek, and that's it. And to to help you understand, like everything that's being said on the phone is like immediately recorded on a on a on a remote server for those people who understand this technology, and uh, it's not even kept on the phone; it's just stored somewhere in the world on a computer and, and we have access to that computer got it and I, I think as well that the ease of doing that is that people are inherently used to talking on the telephone it is something that they probably have done most of their lives so the concept of talking to, to somebody on the telephone isn't as intimidating as sitting them down with the lights the cameras the microphones it's you know they're far more at ease from the get-go around talking about what will be valuable to future generations than in that other environment i know there are some people that take to it very easily in terms of being in front of the camera and but for a lot of people and i get it um, oftentimes with guests on on the show i take for granted that i record an, uh, an interview or an episode with with somebody every week and so that for me is I've got a process I follow and then I hit record and, and this is the, the result of it. But for other people, it might be the first time they've ever been recorded in doing something like that. And it's it's appreciating that that can be intimidating. And as you say, you've made it as easy as possible because it is like picking up the phone and having a conversation, which we're all pretty much used to doing. Yeah, yeah and I think you, you hit on uh, or, or started kind of leaning into a really important point, which is um, although we do believe in the power of film and we in there and you can have video podcasting. Um, I think the great and rare opportunity in an audio um, only kind of documentary is that there is an intimacy to that conversation when someone does not have to perform in front of a camera. Um, it, it completely changes the, the way that you talk and, and what you're willing to share because you're not thinking about how you look, you're not thinking about your hair, you're not thinking, um, what does my house look like? Um, you're, you're simply zoning into your thoughts. Um, and I think we can all sort of, you know, understand the differences. Like if we have a conversation with someone just on the phone 
or if we have a FaceTime conversation with someone or a Skype conversation, it's a different feeling. Um, you're like, wait, I can't, I'm in my bathrobe, you uh -huh. know? Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's a huge um, opportunity to um, create a more sort of casual, lower key, lower entry point space for families who do want to share and communicate, but not all of them would be comfortable sitting in front of a camera. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Um, I think as well, it's worth um, noting, I don't think we can ignore or get away from the fact that we're living um, in a global pandemic at the moment and families and family businesses in particular have faced exceptionally challenging trading conditions, exceptionally challenging conditions for the presence of family dynamics anyway in, in that sense and actually having a record of that rather than relying on your memory in 15 years time of i think this is how i approached it and i think oftentimes we can look back and see things in a, a slightly different light to how things were actually there in the reality documenting how you dealt with this as a family during this pandemic as well is a fantastic way to teach future generations if a crisis comes along in and who knows when it's going to be and what it's going to look like that this one's kind of taught us that we can't really know what to expect but if there's something for them to go back on and they've got their grandparents or their parents or their aunts and uncles who are sat there saying look we thought this was really bleak we thought it was the end for the business but we pivoted we did this we did that we adapted we made sure that we communicated in that way there's so many lessons that can be caught up in those discussions as well compared to say 30 years time in looking back at a set of accounts that show that the um, revenue dropped that doesn't teach us as much as those lessons from um, the current generations who have just recorded their thoughts and, and feelings about it. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, it's not completely comparable, but uh, as a as a coincidence, today I had a conversation with a like a director of a company and one of his employees, and his employee is kind of struggling with uh, like a personal crisis and doesn't have, doesn't know how to uh, come to his work. He's nervous. He's stressed. He's almost struggling with a burnout and then both the director uh, who I used to uh, I've been coaching the director for almost the last 10 years uh, and I we both shared our uh, let's say our personal crisis story which we had like both I guess around 10 years ago like how we dealt with that personal crisis and so and and then all of a sudden you saw this man this employee um kind of brighten up and and thinking oh so there's hope for me there's uh there's people that had that have been dealing with the same kind of crisis i've been going through right now and i didn't even know because i kind of had put those people on the pedestal like this is director he idealizes him and but no this director became a director and successful because he went through like a huge like an immense business and personal crisis and he managed to get out of that and he and he told him how he did that and mm -hmm. so i i totally agree with your example and i just i just had it happening this morning even like as a as a live example that's not being recorded but imagine that we would have recorded that that could have been of like a, a great value to other people yeah and i think just, just just touching a little bit on um perhaps some concerns that that people might have and in in particular with a 
public podcast. I mean, I hit publish and whenever I set the release date, it goes on to iTunes and what have you, and people can download it. Whereas from the private perspective, the emphasis being on private, people might be concerned about the security of that. And as you said, nothing is recorded on the actual device that the recording's done on. But what sort of reassurances are there around that privacy? Because I imagine that's something you come up against if they are talking about family history and family secrets, perhaps, and not in a sinister sense, but just in the sense of the, this is the, the kind of stuff that's gone on in, in the family, not wanting to air that in public. Um, what sort of reassurances can you provide for those? We've always been incredibly cognizant of being um, discreet and that basically our default always with working with families is, is being private. Um, but when you're talking about um, a podcast that has episodic ongoing content that is being put out there as opposed to one, one film, um, you do sort of put even more focus on how, how, how is this truly secure and not only just private. And so um, I'll, I'll have Pete speak more specifically to what we're doing, but we started thinking this has to be absolutely secure. Um, we know that certain families um, who want to invest in this kind of thing for their family, they are going to sort of put us in the best of terms, like through the ringer to know that this really is secure. And they have, you know, all kinds of other platforms that they may be using um, for family communication. And so they're used to um, uh, see, seeing if there are any leaks. Um, and, and we knew that we were going to be up against that. And so we started searching for a third party um, that we could trust. So I don't know if you can talk more specifically, Pete. In the beginning of our development, uh, uh, we found, let's say, five, six uh, platforms that basically basically offer uh, private podcasting, but then very soon we discovered that they only had basically one level of, of security, and that is creating a, a secure, secret RSS feed you can uh, load, like you can put that on your own phone. That basically, if you share that with someone else, then it's not it's not secret anymore, and it's not private anymore. So that didn't feel great to us, and we really did some in depth research, and then we found a party that had done so much uh, development over the last four or five years in in creating this security. That is, um, yeah, it's amazing. It's almost hard. It's almost impossible to hack. So they they created a family. You can basically create a family or a business-owned app. Like everything is happening within the dedicated app. Uh, they, they they segment uh, the, the audiences. You have to like go to a three-step multi-tier verification, uh, uh, and then again, uh, users need to be authenticated again. And uh, every content, like uh, which is normally played or streamed, is is being secured on a on a, a separate uh, server. It's all it's all technical language, of course, but that's how they organize it. And people can download, let's say, episodes they want to like listen to on the on on the travel, for example, just offline on their uh, dedicated app, and they listen to it. Nobody nobody can even hear it. Um, there's a lot to tell about it, but uh, we are kind of very content that we found a party, third party, because. Uh, it's it's uh, an expertise on its own. You know, you cannot like we are, we are media makers. We're not 
security okay. experts yeah. uh, and, 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 and to guarantee like real uh, privacy or privacy Americans and, and British like, pronounce it <laughs> in a different way. Uh, uh, you, you tell me which one is which. Uh, uh, you, you really need a third party that has uh, developed that like as an as a as a niche. Uh, you cannot compete with that. Like we're me- media makers, and we need that security to yeah. to be able to guarantee that uh, privacy. Yeah. And and I'll just jump in and say that this, I mean, this is where I think it is important for just people who are listening, who um, maybe they find this idea intriguing and they're sort of like weighing for themselves, like, is this what I want to do or is it something I want to look into? And um, I think it is worth assessing for yourself um, if, if you're the point person in your family or business that that deals with communication or brings sort of innovative ideas to the fore is is this for us? Is this for me? Is this for our family business? Does this make sense? And I, I think that it is really important to be frank and be real, that it does require buy-in. It does require investment of time and money, um, just like anything does um, that is going to bring value to you. Um, so I think the big question is, of course, we all have our pain points, but the number one question you have to answer is does your family or business want to be connected um they might have problems with communication they might have problems with feeling connected but ultimately is that really a goal that is sort of held by the majority of the people in the group because Mm -hmm. it will require buy-in um and and by that i mean you know when i say not just just not just time um and and you know uh emotion and, and, you know, willingness to be part of the podcast. But when you're looking at money um, and you're looking at a secure media platform, there is a cost to that. Um, And so it is important to kind of think like, is that something that we're willing to do? Um, And um, yeah, I just, I guess I just want to be real about that because I'm sure people who are listening to this, who, who've gotten this far in the episode are, you know, wondering how does this actually work? And it's like, yeah, there's these different sort of elements to it. There's a production of, of the podcast itself, um, or making archival material available with, within that apps, you know, that podcasting app space. And then, then there's the actual secure platform. And, and for it to be something that is beneficial and i see it as something is hugely but as i say so, somebody has i've done the, the same for for a family and, and and the value that that brings is 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 huge and the privilege that you get in hearing the story is is fantastic as well and but you need that buy-in in order for people to actually make the content worth listening to as well right because you don't want somebody in the family going this is fantastic i'll sign us up it's great we're going to do this and they're kind of recordings are rich and, and in detail and you get to somebody who's perhaps not quite as on board and you go well tell us a story and they go no not not willing to do that because that doesn't really make for the the valuable content that it is that you're, you're trying to to create so that buy-in discussion and decision as a family is something that presumably they come to via conversations and an ongoing process with you rather than you know necessarily waiting until that decision is final within the business before they uh, pick up the phone or drop you an email and, and get in touch. It's something you can support them with and, and help them along that journey as well. 
Yeah, that has to do, I think, with this this uh, initiating and discovery process that happens in the very beginning of any project, which is sitting down with a family or a family business and the stakeholders there and talking to them about what is what is their goal goals, what are their ideas, what are the roadblocks that they see, what are the opportunities um, and discovering what the potential is and getting people excited about that and then producing a small amount of episodes so that we can then listen to those together, get more buy-in, get more feedback from people. You don't want to just make something and say, hope you like it. Um, <laughs> you, you make something based on what people said that they thought they would like uh, and, and find valuable and worth the investment. And then you get immediate feedback. Is, is this what we're talking about? Are we on the same page? Okay, great. And then you produce a, you know, if people are familiar with podcasting, a trailer or a teaser, you know, um, just like there's a movie trailer, there's, there's uh -huh. trailers for podcasts um, to say, to get more in families aware that we're doing this and, and, and buying into it. Um, and all along within the actual podcasting episodes themselves, inviting people to give ideas and feedback and become involved themselves. So um it's not a one-way communication format. Um, uh -huh. I didn't think that you're going to get success that way. What Jamie's saying, uh, I can add something to it. Like what we do is basically we, we can help people that families or businesses that want to have a private podcast on any level of, of, of the production. That's basically the discovery Jamie just explained. It's uh, how, uh, how are we going to organize it? How are we going to distribute it? Uh, are we going to do the interviews in, in the stead of, of the family or uh, are we finding stakeholders or people interested in doing that and wanting to be part of the production team uh, because then they they also have more like involvement and commitment to what is being produced. Um, uh, what do we do with editing? Uh, well, I think that's probably what we organize for them to make it easier. Uh, we do the uploading process. We do the, the whole distribution process because I think that is like too technical to, to outsource, uh -huh. but where we can like say basically involve family members in, in the making of the story because they would be far better interviewers than, uh, uh, than we would be in a certain uh, circumstances, then, then we would do that. So it's like totally produced by us. Uh, intermediate by uh, like a partnership or uh, like say uh, totally done by the family, which we can hardly uh, imagine that that would happen. But maybe uh -huh. over time, after a couple of years, they say, well, we want to, we want to go do it ourselves. Uh -huh. uh, but I think there's always some, some uh, management or organization or production needed around it to, to make, to make it successful over time and sustainably. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And, uh, I'm very conscious of our um, time and um, I really appreciate your uh, insights and giving us more information about private podcasting because I think it is something that is a fantastically valuable resource for families to, to cherish for, for years to come. Um, for those that are listening that do want to get in touch, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Yeah, I think the best way is to visit the website, which is storykeep.com. And um, we regularly put up on um, our blog, um, we, we, we host webinars where we basically give a, a more sort of step-by-step -step understanding of what is in, uh, involved in having a private podcast. 
And um, we always post the, the latest webinar details up there. So if you go to storykeep.com, you can find that. Um, and, and you can easily find our contact details there. Fantastic. And I will put um, copies of those in the show notes for people to um, find uh, and to, to follow. Um, but uh, all that's left for me to say at this stage is, is Jamie and Pete, thank you so much for um, your insights today. It was a, a fantastic discussion uh, and uh, I recommend people check out your site and um, get in touch. Thank you, Russ. Thank you. Thank you so much, Russ. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.